Good morning, church. Happy Easter. Good morning to anyone who's sitting downstairs in the commons. If you are and you've made, you sat down there to create space for the guests, thank you. It is good to see the church so full this morning. He is risen. Happy Easter to all of you. If you have your Bible with you, open it up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're going to put this scripture on the screen in a minute if you don't have a Bible with you. Oxford Dictionary says there are about 600,000 words in the English language. Some linguists say that the average English speaker, which is most of you, know about 40,000. So 600,000 words in the English language, you know about 40,000, but here's the, here's the real kind of disappointing conclusion. You only use about 2,000. That, that, that's the intellectual ability of most of us. We get by with 2,000 words. Most frequently used words in the English language, here they are, be, and, of, a, that's a letter, but it's also a word, in, to, to, have, and to, t-o-o. Now, what do you think is the most important word in the world? That's a good answer. When you're in church and someone asks a question, Jesus is always a good answer. I'm willing to bet, though, that most of you don't know the most important word in the world as I'm going to share it with you this morning. It's a word that's contained in the text that we're going to read in a minute. And I think it's the most important word in the world because at its core, it's at the core of the most important news that the world has ever heard or will ever hear. And without an understanding of this word, you can't be truly happy. Without an understanding of this word, you can't fully appreciate Easter. Now, there's words that can give you a warm, fuzzy feeling on Easter morning. Easter eggs. If all you're looking for is a warm fuzzy, then Easter basket will do it. There was one. It wasn't there last night. I got up this morning. I got up early before everyone else. There was an Easter basket on the kitchen table. And they're deadly. I mean, I, I'm, I've been picking at this thing all morning. I'm all sugared up. So... What other words could give you warm, fuzzy feelings? Ham dinner. That could do it. Reese's, peanut butter, chocolate, eggs. That'll do it. But I'm talking about a word that will do more for you than give you warm, fuzzy feelings. I'm talking about a word that can fill your heart with wholehearted joy. What's the most important word in the world? Romans 3. 
verses 23 through 25. I'm just going to read a portion of verse 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. A lot of big words in that passage. A lot of good words that could qualify as important words. I've identified one that I want to unpack this morning. The word is propitiation. So we're going to unpack the most important word in the world, propitiation, to try to deepen our appreciation for Easter. Propitiation, a word that most of us could not define. A word that most of us couldn't use in a sentence. Now, most of you, most of you that have gathered know the meaning of the word propitiation. You just don't know that you know it. There was a storm of controversy surrounding this word. When the Revised Standard Version appeared in English, the word propitiation was removed from the English text. Here's the reasoning. People in this day and age don't use words like propitiation. And if people are going to understand the New Testament, then strange words like this need to be removed. We can't remove this word. Can't get rid of it. It's one of the most incredible words you've ever heard. It's, it's, it's full of meaning. It's full of beauty. It's glorious. It's one of the most glorious words you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Anywhere in the world. Now, let's just make sure we can all say it. We've got a little phonetic. So I just want to do a little, a little lesson here for us, okay? This is how you say this word. pro pish E A shun. You can say it with me. Pro, pish, e a shun. You put it all together. Propitiation. It's from Latin. Propitio, which is meaning is to render favorable, to appease, to conciliate. To propitiate God means to appease his anger. Propitiation is about God's wrath. God's wrath. It's Easter morning. We all came in here real happy. I'm not trying to hear about God's wrath. I'm thinking about springtime and tulips and Easter bunny. God's wrath. You're killing our Easter vibe, Kenny. Young people, millennials, I, I put millennials in young, you're actually not that young anymore, you're approaching 40. 
Gen Z. I will put Gen Z in the category of the young. Most of my kids, I think all of my kids fall into the category of Gen Z. The next generation, I think, is Gen A, Generation Alpha. Leaving the Christian faith rapidly. If you do a search on TikTok using the words deconstruction or exvangelical, you will find some very interesting conversations going on among those generations. They don't want to hear about the wrath of God. And if you look at some of the explanations that are going on in those channels, you'll see that there's not very good dialogue or explanation that's taking place. So my, my appeal to Brandywine Grace is we need people who are reasonable and mature and loving and respectful, respectful to enter into those spaces to allow for some meaningful dialogue over truth. But the wrath of God is a troubling idea. So let's first do this. I want us to understand. We've got to understand God's wrath. So I want to try to explain it. Let's just acknowledge that there's a lot of anger all around us. So we know what anger is. Part of the problem is we know what human anger looks like and we attribute the same thing to God. God's anger is not like what you hear on talk radio 24-7. God's anger is not what we see on the news networks. God's anger is not what we see on Twitter and Instagram. People just venting furiously at one another. God is not a fuming, frustrated person. He's, he's not red-faced and subject to mood swings. We think of God being angry like we are, and we don't like that thought. Who does God think he is? God is the most balanced personality imaginable. His wrath is not an irrational outburst. God's wrath is worthy of God. It is this. Ray Ortland wrote this definition. It is his morally appropriate, carefully considered, justly intense reaction to our evil which destroys his worth and destroys our capacity to enjoy him. God is not a passive observer of things. He's emotionally involved. Let me explain through illustration. Explain God's wrath. My dad is battling stage four cancer. Killing him. 
hospitalized last night, getting radiation treatments, had to call an ambulance last night. I'm headed to the hospital as soon as I get done here to spend time with my dad, who is dying of cancer. Ask me how I feel about cancer. I hate it. It's killing my dad. It's killed many of your relatives and friends. God's wrath is the solemn determination of a doctor cutting away the cancer that is killing the patient. Does this help you to understand it? God's wrath is the attitude that all of my brothers and my mother have towards cancer. God's wrath is his holy anger towards sin, which is a cancer that is killing us. He looks at the brokenness of this world and he's angry towards the sin that is causing it. And he's determined to rid the universe of it entirely. So the wrath of God, we must understand, is part of the gospel. It's part of the good news is part of the Easter story. And if you understand it, it will move you into joyful worship of God. Propitiation is all about how God's anger can be redirected from those who deserve it and absorbed by Jesus in our place. So the focus of this sentence, I'm focusing on verse 25 because I've pulled out the word propitiation from verse 25. Look at what the word says here. It says, whom God put forward as a propitiation. The focus of this sentence is God's initiative in providing salvation. God took initiative to save you. God took initiative in providing redemption. God took initiative in dealing with his wrath. The salvation that is in Christ takes place at the will and initiative of God. God put him forward. That could be translated displayed publicly. God displayed Jesus publicly. God put Jesus forward on the cross as a propitiation. Who takes initiative? in the process of redemption. Certainly not you. Certainly not human beings. Not even Jesus. But God. God put him forward. God presented Jesus as a propitiation by his blood. The question is, do you see the beauty in that this morning? In pagan religions, in the religions of the day that Paul would have been referencing at the time when he was writing this letter to the Romans, 
the worshiper placated the offended deity with rituals, with sacrifices, with bribes. The way that you get right with an offended deity is you bribe him. You offer up sacrifices. Now that sounds hilarious to us until we realize that in modern religion we do the same thing. We try to get God to like us. We try to get God, we try to appease God's anger by doing some good things. We offer up our good deeds in hopes that we can appease God's anger by doing those things. But that's not the gospel. In the, in the gospel, it's God himself who provides the offering. All we do is receive it. The prime doer in salvation is God. The prime doer in salvation was God. To satisfy his wrath, God does the offering. To satisfy his wrath, God offers himself. Now that's really hard for us to grasp. Because we tend to think we've got to meet God halfway on this. That's our tendency. To think that that's our, that's in some ways, that's our tendency in all relationships to meet each other halfway. I remember splitting wood with my dad and splitting wood with him occasionally, not always, but occasionally he would play country music. And, uh, and I wasn't a particular fan of country music. But my dad would have the radio out there playing, and we're splitting wood. And I'm thinking of this time where we were splitting wood, and I can hear that country song going. So, uh, Gabe, put those. So, so this was a country song that I can still hear playing. I'd start walking your way, and you'd start walking mine. And we'd meet in the middle, need that old Georgia pine. And we'd gain a lot of ground, because we both give a little. Ain't no road too hard when we meet in the middle. Now, for all of you ain't country fans, Zed did a song just like this. Baby, why don't you just meet me in the middle? Right? <laughs> so, so we know this idea of meeting in the middle, and it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to us. In marriage, you will not, in marriage or in any other healthy relationship, you ain't going far if one person does 100% of the giving and the other person does 100% of the receiving. That marriage is, come to me for marriage counseling and I can help you in, I can, get, I can help you in two minutes if that's the way you're acting in marriage. We compromise, right? We have to be willing to meet in the middle. We share duties. We, our love is reciprocated. We care for one another. If only one person does all of that in the relationship, then the relationship's doomed to failure. Now, what we do is, you're really good at comparative theology. You just, you just don't know that you're good at this, because that's a big word. But this is what we do. We compare God to us. Comparative theology would say that since human relationships work best when we meet each other in the middle, 
then God-human relationships must work the same. God starts walking our way, and we start walking towards Him. God gives His 50%, and we give our 50%. Or maybe God gives His 95%, and we give our 5%. Whatever number you plug in for us has to be greater than zero. And that makes a lot of sense. But it's wrong. Is completely wrong. As it relates to God and our relationship and God and salvation. This verse, this important word, shows us a different theology than the Psalms. Most of us get our theology from culture. Most of us get our theology from songs. We got to get our theology from the Word of God. Nobody amen in that. We like theology from Diamond, Rio, and Zed. This is is what the Bible tells us. God started walking your way when you were walking away from Him. God started running towards you when you were running away from Him. God started to walk towards you in friendship when you were, as the Scripture defines, an enemy of His. God started walking towards you in friendship when you were selfishly rebelling against Him. God started to walk towards you to bring you real joy and happiness that only can be found in Him. And you said, no thanks, I'm good. I'm walking towards other things to find the that joy and that happiness. God started walking towards you when you were dead in your trespasses and sin. The beauty of the gospel is this, is that if you're a Christian today, it's not because you were born in the right family. It's not because you're better than other people. It's not because you've made all the right decisions, the correct decisions in life. It's because God took initiative towards you in Christ. God did all the doing. We did all the receiving. He gave 100% and we received 100% from Him. I love this quote I read this week. P.T. Forsyth says, He was God, that's Jesus, was God doing the very best for man and not man doing the very best for God. At the cross of Jesus Christ, God put something forward. He declared something to the whole world. He presented, he presented, he displayed He made the clearest statement about himself that he had ever made. Propitiation displays two things. We're just going to hit these very briefly. I've kind of hit them already. Propitiation displays two things. First, God was displaying his wrath. God was displaying his wrath. Because as we've already learned, God detests all of our evil with the intensity of his divine personality. 
Same way I detest cancer. God detests sin. If you want to know what your sin deserves from God, don't look within yourself. Don't look to your emotions. Look at the cross. Look at the man on the cross, gasping, bleeding, tormented, suffering, dying. If you want to know how serious sin is, take a look at the cross. If you want to know how serious sin is, then remember that it took nothing less than the blood of God to forgive you for it. And take a long, thoughtful look. God was displaying something. God was presenting something to you there. God was saying something about his perfect emotions towards the cancer of our sin. He was displaying his wrath, but that's not the only thing he was displaying. Propitiation displays two things. God was displaying his wrath. What else was he displaying? God was displaying his love. God was displaying his wrath. God was displaying his love. The God we have offended doesn't demand our blood. He gives his own in Christ. God knows what we deserve. But he wants to give you what you don't deserve. God himself has opened the way. He has taken the initiative. How could it be any other way? We can't avert the wrath of God. We can't absorb it. We're the problem, not the solution. We're helpless before God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. At the cross, God's love satisfied his own wrath. That's the second thing that God was displaying through propitiation, his deep, deep love for us. What we couldn't do, God has done. Amen? Propitiation has turned God's frown into a smile. He's satisfied with us because he's satisfied with Christ. The cross didn't make God propitious. It was his idea to begin with. And he did it publicly. He did it out in the open. It's a fact of history so that the story could be told over and over and over and over and over again. Stop believing your own thoughts. Stop brooding over your own guilt. You'll never find true peace that way. You just get into a cycle of brooding over things. It'll never result. You'll never break that cycle. You'll never relax and enjoy peace with God. When your sin oppresses you, when you feel guilt and shame, you must believe something else. You must believe that God has made the gospel so clear. And every time your heart sinks from God in dread, believe the good news over and over and over again. So how do we get in on this? How do we get in on it? It's real clear. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received 
by what, church? Faith. If God presented Jesus, if he displayed Jesus as this great statement to you and to me, what's our part? Just have to receive it. Just have to take it. It's a gift. The taking of it is the faith. It's by faith. The way to experience gospel freedom is faith. Faith is the set of eyes that notice what God has displayed. Do you see it? Faith is the mentality that loves what God has put forward. Do you love it? Faith is the heart that prizes what God has presented. Do you prize it? There's only one type of person who qualifies for the liberating power of the death of Christ and his resurrection. You know who they are? Sinners. Sinners are the only people he died and rose for. It's the only one. So if you're a sinner and you see that, you should rejoice because he's provided for you what you could never provide for yourself. If you come to God standing upright and ready to make your case, you're in a bad spot. If you, if you always think that your problems are someone else's fault, you're in a bad place. The cross actually condemns you. But if you've ever felt far from God, if you're even feeling far from God right now, if you are indeed far from God, if you've sinned and you keep on sinning and you're ashamed and you're dealing with guilt and you wish you could trade in your record for a better one, then God longs for you to know something. Propitiation. He longs for you to know that he is happy over you because he sees you through the death of Christ. God's not angry anymore. He rejoices over us. Those that have put their faith in Christ, those that have received this gift by faith, he's actually rejoicing over you. He's filled with more joy than you brought into the worship service. He loves when people look at what he's put forward and receive it by faith. Because that's his, that's his purpose. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's doing. It's what he's done. And he longs for you to know that your sins have been nailed to the cross and you bear them no more. Propitiation. Big word. Displays God's wrath, displays God's love. Most important word in the world. The easiest way to remember it is this God is pro us, which means God is for us. And nothing could picture it better 
this Easter morning than to witness two people who are going to be baptized, who have turned to God and received by faith the gift of salvation. Let's observe that as an act of worship this morning. J-Ross, come on up.